0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Shell Formers. I'm your host, Darby Harn, and with me as always, my good friend, Sugu. How are you doing, Sugu? Not too bad. How are you? Doing well. Uh, I've got a partner today. I've got my cat, Kit Kat, is yeah, I hanging see out it. in my lap here, making the headphones difficult. Um, but we wanted to talk today, and as the podcast is really... Um, I was talking about um the toys we love, why we love them, and how they sort of impact our lives, uh, and like you know, sort of life and culture in general. And uh, rather than talk about WandaVision again, we thought today we'd talk about deep cut characters. Kind of started talking about it last time, and one of the characters that Sugu and I both really enjoy from the Transformers franchise, who definitely a deep cut character.
1: I don't know if you'd call them C-list. What do you think, Sue? Well, uh, first thing I, I got to ask uh, for both our audience and also for for us, mm-hmm. what exactly is a deep cut character? There you go. Yeah, let's let's actually stop for
0: once and define <laughs> stuff as we talk <laughs> about it. Um, So let's scroll all the way back to the beginning and imagine that we knew what we were going to say before we started saying it. (laughs) So the deep cut character, how would you define them? So I would say for Star Wars, I think Star Wars is always a good frame of reference. Your deep cut character would be sort of your background person. So like you have a couple layers, don't you? So you have your Luke and then Boba Fett would be what? A secondary character, but he's Boba Fett. Um, Deep cut character would be one of the other bounty hunters. So let's say Zuckus, Forlom someone who doesn't have lines but who is visually interesting and who everybody knows by virtue of uh, some association or a toy and the character we're actually talking about today i started to go into is from the transformers franchise and that's skids skids is 1985 transformer He's series two sugu's actually going to tell you guys about the actual (laughs) um the etymology of the actual car knows more about it than i do but Skids is, I'd say, perennially deep-cut character in Transformers.
1: So, it's interesting, especially given the definition, because I don't think Skids is actually a deep-cut character. Uh Uh-oh, controversy already. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because Skids, if we're only looking at G1, the original toys, absolutely. Mm. He made one one, uh, appearance in one episode really obscure he did get a, a name in the show um and then he had that one toy right like absolutely
0: He was also uh famously uh he was the star of one single issue of the comic the marvel comic book is transformers number 20 right and it was literally all about skits but anyways we'll talk about
1: it. right But then after Transformers, the comic went from Marvel to Dreamwave to then IDW, IDW took that character skids and made him really, uh, I would say amazing. Like they, they made him a a main character Uh Um, and they basically kind of went crazy with his backstory and basically his character profile from the G1. And it, it just went off the rails. It was great. Um, and he he got so popular that Hasbro actually made a mainline figure of the IDW version of Skids. It's it's one of the first times that uh, Hasbro actually made a figure out of the IDW run. Or was he the first one? Because they do it one all the of time. One the first yeah. Cool. So... Like I, I don't know if he would be a D-list character after 35 years of Transformers, or a, a deep cut character. But definitely, if we're looking at only the G1, yeah, I would say he's really obscure. Although Acid Rain, I think, is even more more obscure. <laughs> well, he's. I would say he's definitely relative to the toys
0: even today he's definitely a secondary character he's not a character who's ever really in heavy rotation and there was a recent i don't know if recent's the right word you know better than i
1: would what was the last skids that they did actually in the toy line uh official yeah official would be that that main line which was not just the last but like the first in two decades something like that it's just they do not pay attention to skids um And and to be honest for our audience, the video that Thew Adams did on Skids is just fantastic to watch is about the character. It's
0: amazing. So Thew, we talked about maybe last time or the time before, uh, if you guys, if you're Transformers fans, I would say his channel is is just all Transformers reviews and things like that, it's it's a must see. If you just want a good time, um, watch it anyway. Um, but he did this episode, and we'll link to it in the podcast. Um, he did this episode all about skids, sort of the history of skids, which is super interesting, because as a character, all the Transformers have these interesting histories, especially the G1, because they they have this history that goes back to the original lines, the Diaclone and, and Microman, so they're interesting that way. But then they also have these sort of divergent paths that they took through the animation, through the comic, later through successive toy lines, third party. Um, So they have all these different things, but so it's super interesting on that level.
1: Yeah, so coming to G1 specifically, um, one of the things I, I loved about Skids is that his car was boring. I'm sorry, but it was the worst car possible.
0: (laughs) He's definitely one of the, shall we say, less sexy (laughs) original cars. And I always thought he was a minivan, but that's not actually the case.
1: No, he's... uh, he's, So officially, it's called a Honda City Turbo, um, which most people have no idea what that is, especially Mm -hmm. in America. It was this... uh, Oh man, it's kind of hard to explain. So we're going to have to go back into Japanese automotive history a little bit. Yeah. Uh, In Japan, cars are generally sold with uh, one of two types of license plates, (laughs) either a white license plate or a yellow license plate. Um, The white license plate has a stronger engine that can go on the highway. Mm -hmm. The yellow license plate, also called a K car, Uh, just can't the engine is not made for highway travel it's meant for urban city travel Um, I think uh, sometime around the time when I left America uh, they Mercedes I think came out with the smart car this tiny little thing that was just meant for uh, city city travel like inner Mm -hmm. city travel Um, sometime around there I, I can't remember exactly the the time but uh this honda city is like a precursor to that um and i have here my my little masterpiece and uh, i'm sorry the audience can't see this but darm i'm going to show you this masterpiece here he even has a working back uh hood right this is cool so but the toy itself actually came with a little scooter mm-hmm. and that scooter was not part of the toy at all. It had nothing to do with skids. It did have something to do with in Japan when you bought this car, the real car, yeah. it came with a scooter so that you could it's park enough. your car and then take your scooter around to nearby wherever in the city. So efficient. <laughs> and then when you were done, you could, you know, take your scooter back to your car, fold it up. The the scooter actually folds up you put it in, in the trunk or the the third door uh, of this hatchback thing and you're back to driving away <laughs> every time this is so weird you'll
0: appreciate this every time someone says the word scooter i flash back to that eddie izzard special where she does the thing about the italian kids on the scooters going ciao like that all the way around for it it, it makes no it makes no sense <laughs> I, it just, that's the first thing I think of. And so someday in Japan or Italy or somewhere, I'll have to just do it. I have to get on a scooter way too small for me. And I'll go down the road and be like towel. It,
1: so, to be honest, that's a much better association than the GoBot. So I'm happy.
0: <laughs> oh, there was a GoBot scooter, wasn't there? <laughs> I blanked it out. Um, yeah.
1: No, for a for
0: good reason. Yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, you know.
0: So it's talented, really interesting... Like this really interesting sort of history of the car. So this is a car that no Americans would be familiar with, which is probably why I thought it was a minivan. looks a little bit like a minivan form factor mm-hmm. from the eighties. Um, and I like Skids because um, he was actually one of the few larger Autobots that I was able to get. And that was just because someone at Kmart had opened the box. Uh, he came in those great red boxes and they took out something most everything. The only thing that was in there was Skids himself. And so they marked him down like half price or something. So I was able to get him for like oh I forget what, it had to have been like four or five bucks or something. And um I was able and I really liked him and I loved the the thing I loved as much as the car, which like we said, not exactly sexy compared to Prowl or Wheeljack or someone like that. But the, Roman, the Lamborghini, come on. Sideswipe. But <laughs> Actually, for my money, the skids out of the original OG Autobots in particular, especially those early cars, was the most successful robot mode because those those original cars, you know, everything was about the, you know, the cartoon was out and, and the comic books were out and you wanted your toys to look. Like the the cartoon, and they didn't because they were they had these when they transformed into their alt modes. They were, in some cases, like I'm thinking of Ironhide and Ratchet. They were left in these sort of monstrous Frankenstein sort of appearances. Others were better, but Skids was actually to me was one of the few early ones that actually looked like the toy, the That's the right. packaging art, and then he he looked like the cartoon and the comic. He had. A great sort of body the transformation was very clean and simple he had defined um defined body parts and his head came out of the other ones had this thing where the sort of the, the front folded down and the, the, the head was either left and this floating thing or you just sort of imagined it was there whereas skids had the actual sort of it was it was like on a swivel or something it flipped up mm-hmm and it looked very natural it looked very clean it didn't look like he was you know in pain yeah. <laughs> so I loved all of that about skids um and and so and he was he had I want to say he had articulated arms um like elbow joints ish um and so he had a little bit more movement I feel like than the other ones did but like later I got um I was able to get a Sunstreaker much later, and he's always one I think of at those early cars, where the car itself is gorgeous and the 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 character is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But he just he just looks bad in the in the robot mode, uh, and he doesn't move.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? The the G one toys definitely prioritize the alternate mode, the alt mode. Um, they wanted that to look as good as possible, yeah. and if the if the robot looked like a brick, so be it. Uh, that was that was fine because the alt mode looked good. Like that was that was the point. And we talked before about how uh, I went to the Transformers exhibit out here in Japan, and they showed mm-hmm. some prototypes, and they were wood Like they were making the prototypes out of wood, yeah. instead yeah. of like a 3D design program and then 3D printing it, which don't get me wrong, I'm so glad that 3D printers exist now, but it's amazing what they were able to do uh, to make these prototypes out of wood. Um, so, you know, like the that first generation really prioritized the vehicle mode. So mm-hmm. to have a like a single figure that came out where the robot mode and the vehicle mode kind of matched up and looked good and and i say this as as i loved optimus prime right like i love that toy yeah but let's let's be honest he had an open hole in his back
0: (laughs) it they were just they were just odd, you know. We all love Optimus. Optimus is is the man, um but yeah, he. It was there was. I would actually say I really enjoy the G one toy, but just as the aesthetic, not so much. um You know the way that it, it transformed, but but it's, it's a weird thing that happens in your brain. Optimus is Optimus, so that's okay. But like Ironhide, no, like no, yeah. it's not cool. Um, but. It's Skids though, I I like Skids because he was sort of the more robotish to me, yeah. and you know he had he sort of ended up more a true ro- robot, and then the doors became wings. Which I want to say that was the same case with Prowl. So Skids maybe wasn't the first, but he had that. I always thought of them as wings. So when the doors folded out on the back, I really love that idea. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Skids didn't fly. I know he didn't because he he drove around in Transformers Number 20 looking for gas or oil <laughs> or something and it yep. was pretty pitiful and this it was a young woman or a young man who helped him out um, uh a woman if i remember correctly woman and um <laughs> it's going back it's pretty obscure bob Budiansky was the writer in that i forget who maybe herb trumpy drew those uh, early comics I, I enjoyed them because they were Budiansky. they had a different continuity real quick nerd alert they had a different continuity um than the cartoon and Budiansky had a i to me it was much more organic the way that they integrated the newer characters and the newer ideas in the cartoon, which it's way of introducing new stuff was to blow the old stuff away.
1: <laughs> like
0: just death, random yeah. gratuitous death. But anyway, we talked about that. Um, but so I, that's why I kind of like skids, but what, what was your deal with skids? Like, why do you, why do you like him so much as a character?
1: Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to really articulate, but yeah, um... So one, I, I love kind of that he I, I really like that he was kind of ignored in its own way. Like <laughs> right. his his car was just not interesting um comparatively. Uh but then also his character profile they they called him a theoretician in his mm-hmm. uh because you know they had Optimus Prime, Autobot Leader or mm-hmm. uh Starscream, leader of the Seekers type stuff. But Skint was a theoretician. That was his role. And what I always thought was interesting about him was that uh, according to his character profile and then the IDW expanded character profile was that he could learn instantly. Like Mm -hmm. um, the situation that you actually saw him in the comics is he was fighting some other robot, uh, a non sentient thing, like a programmed killer or something like that. And um, just by taking a couple blows, he was able to learn instantly how that robot fights, and so he could then uh, immediately combat it. Now that's the you know this the the violent version of his of his ability, but. The fact that he could just learn that quickly it was, you know, one of the other scenes in the movie, the matrix that I always really liked was I don't know how to fly an airplane. Do you know how to, or, or fly a helicopter? Right. Do you know how to fly one? The uh, take a uh, download, download how to fly a, a yeah. helicopter done. Now I know like to be able to learn that quickly is something that, you know, I kind of wish I, I could do a lot more. And sure. It's a skill I don't think is very well appreciated. <laughs> I'm always impressed by like how quickly people
0: will learn something, especially kids, like kids will see something once and they're like, they got it. And then mean, meanwhile, um, the older sorts like myself are like, I don't know what's happening. Why won't it work? Yeah. yeah and- the young woman in uh, skids, uh, Marvel, the issue number twenty, by the way. I just i I wanted to take a look. I thought it was a woman, as then I wasn't sure, but it, it was. And I, it's all coming back to me now. He ends up at the garage, but anyway. Um, so you like him? He's a theoretician. He's super smart. He learns super quick. And IDW kind of built that out more in his personality than because really the the file cards were kind of like the Joe's back in the eighties. They just threw things on there to give him personality quirks. Yeah. To differentiate them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... uh, How do I put it? So his IDW character, the way they fleshed him out, was they actually wiped his memory. So he kept his ability, um, but basically his story starts, he just kind of, not really woke up, but his memory started in the middle of a chase so he's like okay where am i why am i running huh oh there's things after me wait are they after me or am i fighting them nope they're after me and he runs away and then like at the end he's like wait a minute i'm holding a gun why am i holding a gun and he's just been holding it the whole time didn't even know he had it Uh um and so his run in the comic books is all about him kind of uh rediscovering his identity which allowed for a narrative perspective, which allowed you to really kind of go off the rails and have him do all sorts of crazy stuff because Mm. he doesn't remember who he is. That's,
0: that's really cool. I, I've never read any of the IDW stuff, so I'm not familiar with that, but I, I know people are all about it. Um, That's really interesting. And the theoretician part you know, sort of valuing that i know we, we've talked about offline just sort of this idea where that's sort of an appealing trait it's different from the autobots especially when you get to the movies and you've got i want to say it was was it Ironhide, whoever it was he ripped some decepticon's head off and he's like quest dismissed it's like oh yeah um, that kind of thing sort of became prevalent in the movies, certainly um whereas other qualities let's say even optimus prime i know we talked about this when we talked about optimus where even he, we talked about it when we talked about the Strongman idea where it was just even Optimus who sort of someone who always valued um, uh, peace and just sort of, you know, not being 100% badass, just got turned into this lethal enforcer type dude. But um,
1: yeah, you know, if I could be honest, uh, it's what what I've been missing in a lot of modern uh, mass media, like the Avengers or Marvel. Is that everything is quippy? Everything is mm. um, uh, like not ultra violent, but like um, highly sensationalized, and uh, just like there are no stakes. Uh, it, it's it's interesting because I, I actually wanted to talk about this with you offline, but we can we, we can do it here. Uh,
0: sure. I
1: just started rewatching uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, just on a lark. And, you know, I've, I actually have been too, yeah. And it's like, I know how the story ends, but everything still feels weighty. Everything still yes. feels like it has a consequence. Um, you know, even like, it doesn't matter how the end is, right? It's the, the point is how you get there. And, you know, like, it still is keeping me on the edge of my seat. And I know how it is. I've been watching it now for 20 years. I think it's been 20 years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it will be 20 years this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I miss that. Like, stories that have weight to them. the music, too. Use of love, leitmotif. I I miss, like, all of that. We'll, uh,
0: we'll find an episode here to do proper dive into the actual the Lord of the Rings toys, which that was one of the best toy lines ever. Uh, toy I, based on your recommendation, I got the Ring Race. Yeah, that, those were, I have most of them, and um, I still do, and I, I just really enjoy them, and, and we'll do a proper deep dive on those at some point, because there's so much there to talk about. That That's a great Um, that line is a great example of of the evolution of toys in progress. They start out um, the fellowship of the ring line starts out very sort of at the time standard for toy biz and toys in general. I I would say almost even generic with the two towers they make that evolutionary leap into what we consider standard today, which is the Marvel legends scale and articulation. And those figures to this day are some of those figures that Gandalf, that Gandalf, the white figure I'm thinking of, Uh, from the two towers it's like still one of the best figures but um, yeah we'll get into that maybe um, down the line but um, going back to to sort of the weight like you were talking about like you know in stories and and things like that wanting to have that quippiness that I feel like everything is that now even I love the Marvel I love all of that Star Wars but you, you sort of see that sort of generic sort of you know, someone has the really good, really good one-liner as they deliver the blow or they, they, you know, they escape or something like that. And it sort of feels whatever. And you don't see a lot of variation outside of that. And, you know, skids that, that, Issue 20 in particular, as I'm thinking about it now, is very unusual in the context of one reason I remember it is one, because I like Skids. But then it was just super unusual in the time because it was such a detour from the main narrative of Transformers at the time, which was the comic was fairly standard in the sense that there was a lot of uh, robot fighting. But this was a deep dive into the character of Skids and sort of this weird, literally off the road journey that he takes um very unusual um um, for for the time and i would say even probably today for me it's actually a little bit more reminiscent of something that chris claremont did a lot during the x-men which is chris claremont would just take an issue throttle all the way down out of this the big hysterical soap opera drama of the x-men into a particular character you think of something like the life death story with storm and forge um And I I love that I love that type of stuff. That's one another reason why Skids made an impression. Um,
1: You know, along those lines, I that's one of the reasons I really like the Transformers um, as a as a franchise. Right, the original G one episodes, the series. You know, we know now as an adult looking back that each episode was just to showcase one character to sell that toy. I know that but the way that they did that was in such a way as to actually create so much interest in the character forget the toy but the character was interesting and like for me my favorite episodes were the ones that had nothing to do with the big cybertronian war that were just these yeah. little these little pocket stories about these characters just on their own the fact that mirage hates the war like he is a aristocrat if you will like in terms yeah. of cybertron it's like it's it's so it's it,
0: it's so awful that i've been uh stranded here with all you plebs. i have to <laughs> now you want to make me fight too oh, yeah it's like now have to fight so your dirty little war <laughs> uh one of the things is probably interesting like you know, it's interesting to learn about the characters. You say the the most appealing thing about Skids to you is this aspect where he's a, he learns, and it's about himself as a, a you know educating himself. For you know, for I think for both of us, it was we were more interested in sort of the stories and learning about these characters. That's why it's so fascinating. These are just basic, these are just commercials that we're watching these are these are toys that there's a very some crass and capitalist which comes out of it which the movie personifies that the 86 movie that's that that is so crass we've talked about it before but there is still this interest in the character and the mythology and in sort of the ways that you identify with different characters we all identify with optimus in some way or at least we aspire some aspirational about him skids is you know interesting in different ways and um that definitely, I mean, that I think that's why the, the toys the toys are the toys are the toys and they said so they have their own appeal. But the reason that Transformers I think persists as opposed to say GoBots or some other iteration or, or even the myriad endless other 80s toy lines which are utterly forgotten is because of the characters and because of you know the, the sort of the mythology that they developed. Um that not all of it had it's you know the transformers in some ways going to last forever at least at least until um i guess it's no longer profitable for hasbro i doubt that will ever happen yeah but um but yeah i I think it's super fascinating the way that you know um another character along the same lines um as skids who sort of personifies sort of the appreciation for education intelligence science and the autobots as perceptor another one of my favorite characters i still have my original perceptor action Um, figure he's he's been through a lot um he's pretty beat up i i I loved him
1: uh, i knew we were gonna talk about perceptor but i wish i had the foresight because i brought my skids for for this conversation but i also have a masterpiece perceptor that's back there in the collection and yeah i just i really like perceptor as a character and i that's one of the cases where i don't like what idw did to him um Mm. so and you know just reminds me of my age right like perceptor they decided that he was boring as just the intellectual and so in the comics they basically he was the victim of some brutal attack um i think it even blinded him or took out one of his eyes or something like that and it, uh, this was the IDW comics. Yeah, okay. and because he's super smart, he basically repaired himself, mm-hmm. but better than ever. So his eye got taken out, and he replaced it with like this, um, like super sharp shooter ability, and he <sighs> built himself a sniper rifle, and now oh, he's geez. this hot shot sniper, and he is never going to let what happened to him happen again. I'm like, uh, you just... You killed what made Perceptor interesting. Yeah, because it's like he... that's
0: unfortunate i didn't know that um the what's it what's it he he his alt mode ends up with, with the microscope yeah. he ends up with the with he ends up with this sort of shoulder mounted cannon it looks like but yeah. that's not actually what it is it's no, sort of it's a microscope <laughs> it's a microscope and that's what kind of made him cool it was like he looked amazing he looked like a badass but he, it it's actually not Based around that, so it's disappointing to learn that they just were like, "Oh, he has a shoulder-mounted cannon. We'll just make him a sniper." Um, that's not cool.
1: Yeah, it it just fed back into this ultra violence that I don't know that needs to happen. That it needs to attract uh, kids nowadays. Like, I don't know. That sounds weird because it's not kids these days. Even back when we were kids, violence was a oh for sure.
0: It did it, it, always it, it's it there's there's something there that's a whole different conversation, but that <laughs> that's uh, there's there's something about, um, uh, you know, our stories inherently all these sort of stories are built on conflict, therefore, they in some way shape or form going back to the very beginning embody some element of violence and that it sort of has peaks and valleys but.
1: But that's the thing right uh, Conflict doesn't
0: have to be violence it does not but but there's <laughs> like i say peaks and valleys. you, you know you go it, depending on your culture and your where you're at in your your particular history it, it can be great or small and i, I think the more the 80s were interesting period because we there's sort of this iconic moment in the history of toys and that's primarily because of two reasons one is star wars the the megalithic success of star wars that translated into the toys and opened this giant door for licensed toys that hadn't really existed to that point the other one is that the change the regulatory change which allowed them to uh basically advertise the toys to us through the cartoons before you couldn't do that there are very strict rules about that which is why transformers he-man joe didn't happen sooner than they did but when they they did 1983 1984 is when this happens um, look out. And then the, the, the easiest way to sell kids on quick, whatever it was, 12, 20-minute cartoons was just have them shoot at each other. You know, they'll get it. You couldn't hurt anybody. You couldn't kill anybody until the movie. Yet. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. So this is your man. This is – uh. The, this looks so stupid. This is, right? uh This Perceptor. is the uh, Perceptor, the uh, Sniper Perceptor. <sighs> um the attempt to, to make him a badass um because apparently the super brain wasn't badass badass enough um which why did they give so I, here's a question I have you know i you you read something you watch something and you're always thinking of yourself as a writer like well if I was in the room if I was in the room when they came up with this why does he have a sniper rifle when he's already got the shoulder mounted thing I mean, like that's to me okay but where i'm gonna let that go
1: <laughs> well you already know the reason because basically uh i'm just gonna take a wild stab and say in other pop culture um this is probably around the time that the those uh first person shooter war games oh, are sure. becoming popular in video games like call of duty modern warfare uh where's the other one there's there's a couple of those right where you like doom and nah well, the difference with doom is doom was fantasy right like okay you're 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 dealing with demons from the bowels of hell that have escaped into Mars, i think it was yeah, uh, that totally doom. tracks yeah quake is also fantasy you're dealing with um uh, some some other thing from some other realm of existence. But I'm talking specifically about war. Like there, there's there. You're playing a person who is in a team of other people, and they're fighting other people, often in historical settings. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, Call of Duty is is the one that I think I hear about nowadays most often. But um, basically, it allows you to play war games and i think around this time the sniper became really popular because they're they could stay far away from everybody it's and true. they could zoom in and get headshots right which are so cool to do by the yeah. way that was sarcasm i don't know if the audience can can pick up on that tone just yet <laughs> but like it's it's so annoying that that's the way it is especially when you look at actual sniper work it's amazing enough highly mathematic um, i've For heard sure. that i've heard that snipers have to work in teams of two and one person is doing all of the calculations including the curvature of the earth
0: there is there is. You're absolutely right. There is uh, a degree of math and physics in sniper um, curvature of the earth at some distances, which at that point, you're, aren't you just launching a missile? Um, the, but uh, wind, uh, distance, all of that stuff plays into it. Which um, is highly, you know, you need a brain to do that.
1: I need eat a perceptor. need a brain to do it.
0: Yep so okay i i mean i i get i get i get what they're thinking but the the disappointment is um perceptor being this sort of iconic figure of uh intelligence and sort of you know science within the transformers world sort of turned turned into this badass the way that everybody else is. that's disappointing yeah um you know um perceptor famously in the 86 movie was um he was involved in the battle at Autobot City, but he was more the guy who was sort of uh, calling out shots. He was sort of observing what was happening. He was telegraphing the sort of movements of the Decepticons. He wasn't involved directly in sort of.
1: Yes, fighting. but do you remember that one heavily insulting scene? Uh, Ultra yeah. Magnus, the Decepticons have. And he said like all these things. And, mm-hmm. and Ultra, they were just kind of like, oh, what are you talking about? Speak English. That whole oh thing. yeah! Like, come on. There's
0: always that shit that what they do in every sort of pop culture thing is like with the brain. They're always like, "Speak English to me, doc," and it's like uh, that. That's that's such a lowbrow, um, dumb thing to say. Uh, you know, it's like, and it's become so reflexive. You see that in everything say that again in english you you say that everywhere and it's like what what they're basically saying they don't realize that they're saying that english is basically the the language of dumb people which it's not um so why do we do that but it's one of these it's one of these movie things that people pick up and then they just repeat like these quips like you know like class dismissed (laughs) like what what are you talking about
1: like what are you doing um like one thing i always liked with Whenever you had the the brain speak, and everyone was like speaking English. When I whenever I watched that, I was always like, okay, wait, 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 wait. pause, rewind, let me look up all those words. <laughs> like it was a vocabulary builder for me.
0: <laughs> we were actually talking on my uh, uh, my other podcast, the Movie News Network podcast. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about this idea of folks who watch uh, movies and TV with the subtitles on, even yeah, e- in too. English. I yeah, people do that I- sometimes. I wasn't sort of familiar with that, but I was like when, especially when I was younger, I I'd always watch the foreign films, uh, French movies or the John Mu movies or whatever, and I'd watch them, you know, with the subtitles didn't bother me. But then i after I'd watched it the first time, I'd go back and I'd watch it without the uh, subtitles on, and mostly that was to try to sort of pick out, see if I could pick up the French, you know what I mean? Like if I could associate this word or that word, and I love that because you're you're learning something and um it's sort of a little bit of a challenge but yeah it's yeah there's a there's sort of a there's always been a weird conflict in western culture antagonism between uh learning (laughs) and and the opposite and that's always embodied in in mythologies like transformers even even star wars where you have um, which is very heavily leans towards this concept and, and the, you know learning is aspirational um, but even then you have someone like Han Solo who sort of literally rolls his eyes at it
1: so um, it's, it's always there. I will say one thing I love about living in Japan is there is a um, a high cultural expectancy about literacy like you should yeah be able to read like that's expected Um, and seeing people on the train reading is more normal although lately it's been changing to like smartphone games but um seeing people reading on the trains when i first came to japan that was what you saw and you you didn't see um a lot of like uh music listening or uh uh, like games or stuff like that. Like you saw people reading. Um, and I, I, I really like that about living here, that, that expectation of being literate and reading is such a, is like, A, it's normal, and B, it's positive, it's a net positive, right? It's absolutely,
0: I love that. It's one of the things I love about Ireland where there's such a deep appreciation of art and culture and learning that, um, you know, here in the States, sometimes it feels like education is a four-letter word. And, you know, one of the things that I found, that we found when you and I were at Trinity um, College in Dublin back in the day was just how invested Irish culture is in just it's in learning and preserving certainly its own, Uh, culture and history and there's a lot of things there in terms of language and things like that but I always I you you have to love that you have to appreciate education learning people who you know we gotta especially with kids because there I think one thing that doesn't always happen is kids kids display an aptitude for for whatever they just they dis- display a high degree of skill uh, intelligence that maybe doesn't always get recognized or promoted or supported and that's something that absolutely it always has to happen you have to you know you gotta those kids and then the minute the minute they show some glimmer of whatever whatever it is that you gotta support that um and that that's criminal, you know. I, mean,
1: I I work in education now, and one of the things that drives me batty is, um, these these teachers that are are more concerned with with supporting the child by appearing to be their friend yeah. than by trying to guide them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like I, I see a lot of times teachers uh will tell their students, oh you know, it's break time, so no homework. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm giving you no homework. And There's I'm going, rules. Right. <laughs> and, and oh don't get, get me sorry there. I have worked at at a couple of schools where they actually said that. Like literally. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, just they're trying to be friends and and they're trying to be cool like yeah homework sucks and all that and i'm thinking one you're in japan you're not back in your home country Mm. uh in japan homework is a good thing like the parents say please give my kid more homework right now that that can be taken to an extreme which i think is also happening here um where they want too much homework i do think that's the case but at the same time, there's uh, I, okay. I'll I'll tell you this. I when I was teaching, um, I used to tell my students, "I am trying to get you ready for the next five years, not right. just this year." Um, it's you need to put in the work if you want to be successful. Period. Uh, you know what do you want to do? Put in that work. To be successful at it and so many of my colleagues just had this idea that nah, it's fine i just want to support them okay but how how are you supporting them you're just telling them to go go it's, be merry, do whatever you want but that's not supporting
0: it's reflective I, I think also of another thing which and i say this as i'm not a parent so i say this as from a remove and this is just observation but you have this sort of trend i think too of parents wanting to not parent their kids but be their friends be their buddies which you always want to you always want a better relationship with your parents but they're your parents and you they're your kids and there's a element of instruction there that yeah. that Goes without saying, but for people maybe uh, probably don't know. So you actually started. So the reason uh, that you went to Japan largely was to, was to teach, and you were teaching English as a second language, right? That's right.
1: Um, I came to Japan as an ALT. So people who know about Japan and teaching, you you just lost a bunch of members of the audience right there by me saying ALT. Yeah, there's like, a, <laughs> yeah, there a collective grow right now. Um, but I started as an ALT. Now, the difference with me as an ALT and what is commonly understood as the job is that in my city where I was, the, the city decided that they have a problem, which is that their students can read and write English, but cannot speak and listen very well. So what my city decided to do was to make uh, a, a new curriculum so that the Japanese teacher was teaching the standard English class that has grammar, reading, and writing. But then the ALT was actually in charge of this new class that was supposed to focus on English conversation and speaking and listening. So... ALT, uh, I guess, I don't know if I've ever told you, but ALT means assistant language teacher. So the job description is uh, you are there helping out the Japanese teacher, basically being their assistant. And that can mean a variety of things to a variety of people. So Mm -hmm. there's some truth in that collective groan that, that happened about 30 seconds ago. But in my, in my experience with the, with the ALT was they actually put the ALT in charge of a class. So I was actually the main teacher of that class. Now, the thing is Japanese law says that you cannot be, uh, be an unlicensed teacher in, in, in a classroom. You can't be the only adult and an unlicensed teacher. So as an ALT in charge of a class, I had to have somebody, a licensed teacher in the classroom with me. The thing is the law doesn't say that that person has to be an English teacher. Mm -hmm. So I I had to teach alongside uh, the Japanese teacher, the gym teacher, the home ec teacher, basically whoever was free. Right. Which made for an amazing experience in terms of learning how to teach, learning how to communicate, learning how to yeah. uh, use my my assistant to help the students.
0: So you got a lot of different perspectives and things like that. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: especially like I'll 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 say this. When I taught with the Japanese teacher of English it wasn't as interesting as when I taught with the the gym teacher who didn't know any English. Hmm. Like it was much more interesting. The students were getting more out of it. Um, And yeah, so that was my, my ALT. And I did that for two years and then they promoted me to coordinator. So basically from then I was teaching teachers how to work in this environment compared with what the rest of the ALTs were doing. Cool. Um, So coming back to the point, I came to Japan to, not for the purpose of teaching, I came to Japan like everyone else for a job, but I ended up getting really interested and really involved in Japanese education. Yeah, and you're you're still working in education today? That's right. I'm working in a school. Uh, I'm not teaching right now, um, or at least I'm not teaching directly. I'm working more in the IT field. of it. That's so cool.
0: I mean, one, it, it's great. On as someone who is, has has lived overseas and has aspired to sort of live there longer, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always sort of I've always admired the fact that I mean, you because you've been there for a minute. You've been you first went. What was that like a four
1: five? 2004 i first came to japan and yeah. i apart from a two-year stint back in america to get my master's i've been in japan since
0: yeah because like that that was just great because i remember because we got out of college in 2001 yep. and um you know we were both sort of like everybody else we were sort of both searching and then you came on to this thing you were super excited was it the jet program so you it was like, it was yeah and you were super excited. I remember when you, when you were like, um, you found that or however you learned about it and you, you were like, I want to do this. And then you did. And, and
1: it was, you've been there ever since. It's amazing. Well, what's funny about that is the, to me, what's funny anyway, <laughs> is that the JET program usually recruits uh, fresh graduates or at least they, that's where the bulk of their uh, uh, applications come from. I had been out of college by that point for about three years. Yeah. Um, And so I had already been working. I was working as a bartender in L.A., you remember? Uh, I do. We were in
0: L.A. um, There was a bar. A real quick story. There was a bar we went into where someone ordered a shot of something called Louis the 15th yeah louis the fifth it was like a hundred dollars a shot what was that yep.
1: uh yeah that's a cognac it's just a uh a, a cognac that's supposed supposedly although i highly doubt it but it's supposedly yeah. from louis the 15th's personal stock back in the day so it's okay
0: louis the fifteenth. yeah and it, I, I remember that because it was sort of you know um i would mostly did not have money and we were in this very you didn't bartend there but that was a bar that we went into and um, it was this very swanky place that we went into. We, we bar hopped a lot, but yeah. um, anyway, back to your point. <laughs> yeah, so,
1: yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I bartended for, for two years, three years, something like that. And then uh, I made my way back to Kansas City. Didn't know what to do with my life, and um, I found the JET program. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I wanted to do. <laughs> I want to travel abroad and I want to teach English.
0: Um, and was it, was then, was it, there, was there something in particular about Japan that was appealing or was it just that idea? I want to go abroad and I want to teach in Japan is where I'm going right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, kind of a you thing. know, in all honesty, when I first applied, it was just because it was a good, it was a good job. I There was gotcha. nothing specific about Japan um, that, that drew me, which, in yeah. my opinion, actually was an advantage because I didn't have any preconceptions about Japan. I didn't sure. have any idea of what Japan was supposed to be. Um, it was just another country for me. So I was happy to, to go and experience the country on its own terms so, instead of like, does it match my what I've learned about it? Um, and I think that helped me um, because right away, because I didn't have those preconceptions, I was able to just look at what was in front of me and take advantage of that. Um, I still say one of the best experiences I had in the beginning was joining that choir. Um, one of my coworkers said, oh, right. um, are, do you like to sing? I'm like, yeah, I do. And she goes, uh, do you know Beethoven's 9? I'm like, I do. I sang that back in college a couple of years ago oh, would you like to join a choir here that I'm a part of? Yes, I would. (laughs) And and it was fantastic. Um, Fantastic that... um, how How can I put this? I was 24 in Japan. I don't speak the language. And here I am singing Beethoven's Ninth with the Tokyo Philharmonic Orchestra. How can I possibly explain what that experience was like? <laughs> so very different from the experience of Perceptor,
0: who is a brain like you were, but then ended up as a sniper blowing people's brains out at distance. You you, you, you ended up in the Philharmonic Artworks. That's amazing. That's awesome. And then you did, But you just ended up
1: really loving Japan. Yeah, I mean, but that's the point, right? The reason I could love living in Japan is because... I had no preconceptions and right. I could I could take uh, what was in front of me and learn, right? Like, uh, one of the things I tell people is that I learned Japanese by talking to literally everybody about everything. I was it's, asking people yeah. in the convenience store, excuse me, what does this kanji mean? How do you say it? What does it mean? What is it connected to? Why is it written this way, right? I'm sure i bothered my fair share of convenience store clerks
0: sure but you wanted to learn you you yeah. wanted to learn and that's the thing that's 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 the biggest thing is because you want to learn you want to open yourself up to that experience and even though you know you're you're they're probably like oh are you american you know like my god um just like it is like in France I had that same experience in France at a uh petrol station that alone our mutual friend alone and i stopped at and this woman very nice french woman i'm sure got very short with my friends um but uh but yeah but that like skids like perceptor you want to learn you want to grow and that's how you learn that's how you process and you and you actually meet people and so the like you didn't have those preconceptions but i know one thing that does happen people do go into cultures with preconceptions mm-hmm. or into other countries and whether that's through media or whatever, it doesn't really matter. They have ideas and they're sort of confronted by them. And then either those are broken in a good way, you know, like, Oh, it's even better than I thought, or it's different than I thought, or they're, they get flattened. Right. And then you're like, Oh God. And there's sort of this rejection that happens.
1: Unfortunately, um, I see, I see more often here is that people Especially in America, really get into anime, and I sure. don't really understand why. But okay, like <laughs> mo- moving beyond that. But okay, um, tune you know, in next week for why anime. <laughs> I mean, I accept it; it's fine. I just don't understand. Uh, okay, yeah. actually, let me let me finish my thought. I so I've met a fair share of people who got into anime. Then they come to Japan and Japan is not like anime. And I don't it's understand not. how they've missed that. <laughs> it,
0: it's, yeah, I think it's, I, 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 there, I, there's some anime that I like, uh, but I never got into it. So here in the States in particular, uh, anime got really big in like sort of the mid late 90s and, I had some friends who got really into some of the more esoteric elements of it. Let's put it that way. Um, I did not. I, I never think I know about, what you're
1: talking about. Yes. <laughs> right.
0: Tune in next week. Um, I never quite understood some of that stuff. Like, you know, I, like I really got into like battle angel Alita and some of that stuff and I could kind of see where they were going. There was sort of some of those elements and tropes, but then there, there is a, segment let's say of i of anime which is um advanced but that is very popular in japan um that is um that it, it's so if you maybe i i'm, I'm just sort of projecting because I've, I've never been but i imagine if you're an american or any other person any other culture and you go to japan thinking this this stuff is going to line up with japan i yeah i would imagine you'd be disappointed um there's a
1: couple there's a couple thoughts about that like one (laughs) anime in japan is not any more or less popular than any other art
0: sure like it's not it is very pervasive though right
1: i wouldn't even say that like you can see people reading a manga uh on the train sure and, that's what I guess. That's what I kind of mean. Whereas you wouldn't necessarily see that here in the states, right? Like, there's no stigma about right. reading right. anime or manga. Right. That being said, it's not like this super popular medium that everyone is reading. Gotcha. Um, I think one in in all honesty, I think one thing that people confuse or mix up is this idea that um, anime is everywhere in Japan. Because Japan has cute culture. And the two things are not the same. So it is true that there is a lot of cute culture in Japan. Like there's a lot of cartoon stuff. Like mascot. Every company has a mascot, for example. And it's like highly stylized, highly cartoonish. Um, the, The cartoons that you do see, like commercials even highly dramatic and a lot of inflection and stuff like that that that's there but that's not anime yeah that's That's just commercials or that's just the marketing medium
0: um so that may that's probably that's could be easily another discussion too that (laughs) that kind of sort of cute culture as you kind of as you say um but the and yeah, there's like a lot of different ways it could go maybe as we kind of we'll, we'll, we'll get back into it. We'll, we'll talk about maybe those things, too, because actually Transformers in general are, are somewhat connected to those things. Um, Japanese culture, sort of popular culture, uh, animated culture. Um, they all have roots together, whether that's, you know, Giant Robo, whether that's Macross, whether that's not Macross over there, but like um, Gundam. Yeah. Um, godzilla even that type of stuff that they all go back to sort of a similar source in a way this sort of japanese popular culture which is so appealing here it has you know sort of a huge export from japan um but maybe as we kind of wrap up
1: this week it kind of circle back to
0: real yeah yeah. i don't
1: mean to interrupt but uh real quickly my other point about the anime that i wanted to bring up yeah is because I and, and I really wanted to, to bring this up because I don't know if a lot of people really realize this or think about it, but I'm gonna use the uh, I'm gonna use three different American shows Cheers, okay. back in our day, sure, <laughs> Seinfeld, and Friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. all three of those episodes or all three of those yeah. shows. As Americans, when we watch them, we know that that's not. American life. We know that that's not reality. That is a that is a show, right? There is no way a paleontologist can go to the coffee shop that often, that uh, that often, and spend that much money and still be a paleontologist. Speaking of friends, we know that Seinfeld kramer would have been evicted eons ago in right. the real world right like we know this nedry or dentist nedry whatever his character's name was oh, uh, newman. <laughs> newman he would have been fired from the post office like right right away um and cheers yes bars are a thing in america that's true but you wouldn't have these stories so we watched them knowing that this is a work of fiction, that these aren't real sure. life. So why is it that when people watch anime, they think that that's reality? That I don't know. I
0: That might be an interesting discussion to have with someone who sort of look, has looked at it that way. Um, you know, there's a lot of cross-currents there with sort of... Um, uh, way that art reflects reality and vice versa like you know anime i I don't really know enough about it myself and not being a particular fan of it um you know um i couldn't say but yeah maybe that's something that's something we could dig into more in the future certainly interesting um but uh, yeah maybe going back to going back to skids there and sort of this conversation about learning which in an education which is it's so fascinating um you know it's it's kind of cool for you too. It kind of folds in uh neatly there because you know you're you're there in japan you're working in japan you're living in japan but also you're this huge transformers fan and collector You, you you're in the home of the transformers and you sort of have this sort of different relationship to it now um than most people here do in the states um all that's like super interesting. Um, you learn probably more about it. Do you find yourself wanting to learn more about transformers, like the history? You want you've gone to the exhibit. Um, is that that's something that you're always interested in?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because for me, I've always been in the his, I, I've always been interested in the history of stuff that I'm into. Right. Right. Like uh, you know, we're talking about transformers. I've always been interested in, in in what, in the history of Transformers, right? Like we've talked about toys. I've, I'm fascinated by the way that they made toys before Transformers and then how that evolved into now. Right. Um, so like learn, learning, learning the history of stuff like that is, for me, it's really important. And I finally get why, not finally, I should say, um, but I understand why back when we were in school, you had to learn the history of whatever context you're talking about, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, history was even in math class or even in science class. And I, I want to say back when I was a student, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why it was so important to learn the it's history, true. but sometime when I became an adult, I did. And I just got into the, into it because it does lay the the foundation the groundwork of why it why it is the way it is right like what are the different evolutionary steps that we got there or that got got to where we yeah, are? yeah i and that's one thing i think is in
0: in toys in general that's fascinating to me That's one reason why we kind of have the podcast is to talk about the, the, w- the way that the toys intersect with other things but just the toys themselves it's like how did they get there how do you get to this point it's fascinating to me it's not enough just to learn something it's like what goes into that thing you know what why is this the way it is why you know why you know why is uh you know what's the value of why it's like figuring out those things and I think that's fascinating as part of our learning I think that's why you know skids is interesting and perceptors interesting and those kind of characters in, in fiction are interesting because you're in Transformers in particular, cause it's, it's actually a learning, like much in the way that Legos are right. More than other toys, Transformers is like a learning toy because you're, you're um, it transforms obviously, but, it, but it, it it's a puzzle. Essentially it's a Rubik's cube in many ways. And for kids, especially, you know, for an adult, it could be, it could be a challenge, but for kids it's 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 you're using a part of your brain and that you maybe didn't before and it's it's a it's a it's a geometric thing it's a it's a negative space thing there's something that happens to that toy and that happens in your brain as you're especially the newer ones you know the g1s you know they were very often very simple but even then even in some cases it was it was complicated so hey, i think I all that's super fascinating a
1: part of my transformers to see how they worked sure and then putting them back together people did it with the joes like i was telling sugu earlier
0: i i lucked out uh the other day at this uh, auction and i got a, a mint dead mint for you cats at home um destro from 1983 um
1: 1983
0: dang 1983 pretty sure might have been 84 I, I think it's 1983 um great Destro, but people to your point um i remember taking apart the joe's also not transformers but they were constructed they have this very unusual construction uh with the o-ring and everything like that and there was a lot people would take them apart put them back together uh to this day um a big part of um vintage joe's is sort of um restoration and things like that and i remember being a kid and trying to figure those things out how did that work um so that, that stuff's endlessly fascinating. And then you get people, like I was just watching this interview the other day, probably getting a little bit afield here, but um, with Daryl DePriest, who was the uh, Hasbro brand manager at Star Wars for years. And then before that, G.I. Joe and his interest in toys was much like ours. He grew up a fan. He became interested in sort of the toy itself, the production, the engineering, and then that led him to become eventually um, employed at Hasbro, which is, you know, the dream. So good on Daryl, who's a great guy and presided over the best era in modern Star Wars collecting. Um, So value education, education's awesome. Learning's awesome. Toys are great conduits of learning. Uh, Learning toys we tend to associate with sort of younger, you know, there's actually sections or there used to be in Toys R Us when Toys R Us was a thing. Um, Learning toys were sort of their own section sort of aimed at younger kids, but actually learning is learning toys are are they come in different uh shapes and sizes and forms and transformers are definitely learning toys um and in, in lots of different ways so
1: um yeah I, mean, I know you're trying to wrap up but that's the huge huge can of worms mm, you just opened
0: <laughs> yeah that's what i like to do I, I like to like sort of you do that thing where people sort of drift towards the door and then i just like to drop something really heavy and then
1: leave <laughs> Like, come on, that's uh, all right. One of the things I, I would love to say then in this podcast, and I hope we, we pick it up and for a later podcast, but um, one of the things I've been saying quite frequently, especially this year, but uh, increasingly over the past uh, couple of years, is that business and education don't actually mix, They're, uh, they have the exact opposite goals. Mm -hmm. um and that's something that you know maybe we can explore but like you know learning through play is something that we've known for millennia that children learn through play so how do you make an education toy that's actually educational um and you know what what are what what are people actually learning when they play those right like i i used to for example with video games i used to tell my dad all the time no no video games build eye hand coordination no no i'm learning i'm learning they're good it's you know all sorts of things he didn't buy it Uh, sorry he didn't buy the argument he still bought the game but um you know one of the things that we've been noticing in terms of the studies that have been Mm -hmm. coming out is that the video games are teaching you like hand-eye coordination or the different things in there. But they're often limited only to that video game. You're not mm-hmm. learning bigger skills. You're not learning gotcha. things that can be applied to other situations, like the hand-eye coordination that you're getting in, in a video game is only for that video game. It doesn't teach you multiple video games. Now, there, I'm sure if we have uh, gamers in our audience, they're now groaning again the second time. And they're, uh, uh, if there's a comment section, they're gonna fill it with exceptions to, to what I just said. I'm not talking about control schemes or anything like that. I'm talking about like within a game, what the studies have been suggesting is that what you learn is fixed within that game. And in a lot of ways, the Transformers, I would say, is kind of doing the same thing. Like, I've learned how to take apart the Transformer. But, you know, I still don't really know how some of the joints work in these toys. Like, uh, a big one that's talked about are universal hinges in in the hips. Mm -hmm. I don't actually understand how that works or how a universal joint works. Like, what does that mean? Right. Um, you know, I know mushroom peg, I know rack and pinion, but what is a universal joint? So I'm not sure that taking them apart develops that skill of being able to get that kind of uh, skill. Well, I mean,
0: the taking party is definitely a different layer of it, like, you know, learning the actual engineering of it. I mean, you have that in other toys, too, where you get to a point where your interest is actually the physical, mechanical aspect of it that's different from the learning how to transform it, like your brain sort of as a kid sort of wrapping around this concept that this is actually two different things, or in some cases, three or more different things, and like figuring out that sort of... um you know, um, different way, different perspectives, and it'll be different for different, you know, kids or whatever. But, um, but yeah, it's a much bigger conversation. Yeah, it might be interesting in the future to kind of talk about toys and learning, certainly because there's a, I mean, that's a huge intersection. As we talked about earlier in the in this podcast, everything in the '80s, everything that we love, everything that we're we've been talking about on these episodes, is a direct result of just straight high octane capitalism. And it's a product of business, but it has, at the same time, it has, um, I would say, positive attributes that go beyond just someone trying to make a buck. Um,
1: Yeah. And
0: those vary, but.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, you know, transformers. We know why the transformers exist. The regulations had uh, uh, relaxed and it was okay to to market to children and sell these toys. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I get that. And I'm a product of that, right? I'm hooked on Transformers and I probably shouldn't be. Um,
0: <laughs> Damn you, Hasbro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but at the same time, what Hasbro did with the Transformers, you know, hiring Marvel to flesh them all out and right. to make them characters in their own right and to give them, I would say, interesting personalities personalities that are connected to the war
0: yeah that that that's actually another huge conversation we could talk about sometime is marvel's actual role in a couple of these major franchises gi joe is the other one in which larry hama is um directly responsible he's actually the architect of that entire line in terms of character um personality the narrative by and large um larry hama But it was a collaboration with uh, Marvel and both the Transformers and G.I. Joe that led to the greater mythology of both of those here in the States. And uh, that's so fascinating. We'll have to talk about that sometime because there's a lot of really cool uh, stuff to sort of uh, dig into there. But so, yeah, maybe we'll leave it there for today. We ran a little bit over today, but that's that's OK. There's a lot to chew on with it's a. Uh, That's you know. For you to edit, <laughs> no worries. Um, it's, a, it's it's a fascinating subject, and uh, it's a you know, uh, people hopefully are learning something from everything we talked about, just you know, sort of like living and working in Japan. So, um, so we'll kind of leave it there. If folks want to check out, I'll uh, the uh, few atoms we talked about earlier, I'll leave a link specifically <laughs> to skids, uh, that particular in the podcast and we'll kind of go from there. Um, so yeah, um, everybody stay safe out there, stay warm, wear a mask, wash hands, get get vaccinated vaccinated.
1: (laughs) if you can. All right, folks, take it easy. Bye-bye.